Let's just pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would encourage us, speak to us, touch our hearts, challenge our minds, and Lord, prepare us to to understand your word, to glory in your word, to delight in your love for us, and to be prepared and enabled, Lord, to go out into the week ahead, knowing who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Romans chapter 8, just a few verses. And the idea this morning is that we're talking about being children of God. When we think about being children of God, <clears throat> the, the very word children, it makes us think of one of the deepest needs in our lives, and that is to be loved by our parents. As young children, we feel the need to have care and loving attention. Parents need to protect us, to feed us, to care for us, teach us, help us to grow up, <clears throat> to be Teenagers and then adults. And it's a joy to see children who are loved by their parents or their carers, who find security and peace in their home, knowing that they're safe and protected and cherished by those who love them. That love and security gives children such a a wonderful base from which to go out into the world Starting off with going to primary school, they know that whatever they face at school, whatever struggles they have with other pupils, they know they've got a safe place at home. They have a retreat, a loving home to go to at the end of the day. They grow up with a safety and security of knowing that they have a bedrock in their lives. And built upon that, they explore the world, they push out into further experiences as they grow into teenagers and adults. (coughs) But as you know, sadly, too many children don't receive that kind of love. They don't have that security and safety in their home. They feel unwanted, unloved. Their needs are not opportunities for their parents to care for them. They're just annoyances that distract their parents, stresses that they don't want to cope with or can't cope with. At times, parents or carers lash out at them, verbally or physically. The poor little child gets angry and shouts back in a cycle of anger. Raised voices or violence becomes all too frequent for some children. And that's the pattern of their homes. Not a safe environment. At times, such children end up being taken into care, being fostered, even adopted by others. If they've come from such a difficult background, how do you think they would respond to their foster parents or their adoptive parents? They would be suspicious. They'd assume that they have to stick up for themselves or they're into a pattern of bad behaviour of fear, of anger. 
they might be so damaged from their previous relationships that they find it really hard to believe that they could ever be loved, that anyone could treat them differently. It's just something they have not experienced before. They've learned that people are selfish. And so when people are generous, they don't know how to cope, how to react. They're suspicious. Sometimes mental illnesses or conditions or other medical conditions make them suspicious and distrustful, unable to react in a normal way to loving parents. And sometimes the parents are doing a wonderful job, but the children just don't or can't respond positively to their love or care. And whatever the cause, many children struggle to trust others, to accept love from others, to be valued, to flourish. Well, thankfully, there are many good parents and carers. And many children grow up in loving homes. But for most children, I think their experience lies somewhere in between these two extremes. At times they experience a bit of love, but a bit of stress and frustration and distraction where they don't feel accepted. And again, sin thrown into the balance confuses it as well because they become selfish and don't respond to good parenting in the way they ought to at times. Many children have some knowledge of love and care but some experiences also of being unloved, of being a distraction or even being rejected to some degree by one or another of their parents. <coughs> well, what Paul teaches us here in Romans 8 is that God will never mistreat us. He will never reject us. His love is without limits. His patience for us is greater than we could imagine that we are accepted as dearly beloved ones in Christ, that we shouldn't fear that God will reject us, that his attention will be distracted, that, that we will become unimportant to him. We should never think that we would be rejected. We don't need to have that fear. As we read through Romans 8, it seems that Paul is almost lost for words, trying to describe how gracious and good God is. He has stated in Romans 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. After several more verses, which tie up some loose ends in his argument to support that statement, he then begins in verse 14, (coughs) his rising finale of what he has been arguing over eight chapters. He wants to encourage his hearers and readers that justification by faith is far better than we could have imagined. That those who trust in Christ are accepted unconditionally, given a new identity, and have the complete have the complete assurance of God's love forever. He begins by explaining that we have not received the spirit of fear and receiving the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, to give us new birth, to make us sanctified. Paul tries to communicate that it's not like children going from the frying pan into the fire, leaving one dysfunctional family 
I'm being cared for by another. That's not too much different. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You can just sense the fear that he is trying to assuage, that he's trying to to get people to not think of. We haven't received a spirit of fear to make us fearful. Some people fear being moved from one foster home to another. But when we come to God, all those fears should go. Or it might be the fear of a slave in the situation to the people he's writing, being sold to a new master who might be cruel or who is cruel. They might end up in a situation where fear is an everyday experience, fear of being beaten for making mistakes, of doing something wrong, or even as Peter addresses in one of his letters, fear of being beaten even when you do what's right. And sometimes we experience something of that with our employers here as well, or with family. But how do we approach God? It should not be with such fear. Do we expect rejection from God? Do you fear him more than we love him? Maybe we want to love him, but we're afraid he won't be as loving back to us. We might believe, yes, God is loving, but... God really loves others more than he would love me. We might think that we're not special enough to deserve his love, to merit, to in whatever way receive his love. We might feel like the unwanted child in the family of God, a bit like Cinderella who is rejected and unloved while the other sisters are loved. You might even feel like an illegitimate child in the presence of God, not really properly accepted into the family. We know God is loving, but we don't necessarily know that he loves me. Well, Paul is clear. Firstly, if we've trusted in Christ, we're a child of God. If we have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are a child of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life, empowering your actions, changing you, then you're a child of God. There's no grades. There's a, it's either yes or no. You're a child of God or you're not. If you know the life-changing power of the Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit, you are a child of God. Paul talks to the Galatians and says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This kind of fruit, that's not an exhaustive list. And that's in contrast with the works of the flesh, the sins that we used to get up to. They can be bad sins, immoral sins, or they can be respectable sins like pride. If we have come to know the Holy Spirit in our lives, 
if we've come to know God's work in power in our lives, then we will be changed people. I'm not talking about the kind of nice people who try to deserve our merit being right with God. There's a lot of people who try and be nice and be good people. And Paul addresses that at the start of Romans 2. There are many good people in the world and we thank God for them. Where would we be without teachers and nurses and doctors and carers? But as sinners, we can never be nice enough or good enough to be accepted by God. There's only one way we can be right with God and that's through faith in Christ. We have to be honest about our sin. We have to confess our sin. We have to love God's word, love God's people. As John tells us in 1 John. And the Spirit produces all these things in our lives. And if we have seen these and if other people have seen them in our lives, then there's no question about it. We are children of God. But those who are merely religious, like the Pharisees, even though they appear pious, they don't have the power of the Spirit to work in their lives. Paul says to Timothy, <clears throat> you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. And significantly in that list of sins, that vice list, Paul says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Being religious, trying to be nice, but without the power of the Holy Spirit is not what God accepts. Like the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. But if you have the power of the Spirit working in you, then you're led by the Spirit. <clears throat> and this Spirit leads into true holiness. And all who are led into true holiness, not fake religion, not man-made religion, all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So there's no need to fear. <clears throat> no need to fear that your sin makes God love you less. No need to try and cover up your sin. God has dealt with it. No need to try and pretend that we're actually better than we are. In Christ, we have the freedom to simply admit, yeah, I did that. I sinned. We have the ability to know that our sin is dealt with. We don't have to try and address it by denying it. That doesn't solve it. Only by accepting it and accepting the cross as the place where it is forgiven is the way we can deal with sin. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you have the Spirit of God, he says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you have the Spirit of God, you are as accepted as anyone else. There are no second-class children in God's family. Each one is equally loved. 
If you're a child of God, you're as accepted and loved, not just as much as somebody else might be. If you're a child of God, you're as accepted and loved as Christ is. By this is love perfected with us, so we may have confidence for the day of judgment. (coughs) Because as he is, so also are we in this world. As Christ is accepted and loved, and is righteous before the Father, so too we are accepted and loved, and we are righteous in him before the Father as well. Be encouraged. This is maybe too much for us to understand. You're as loved before God the Father as Christ is. We don't deserve it, so we think, no, maybe it can't be true. But that's what grace is. That's what the gift of salvation is. It's far bigger and better than we could have thought. And his inheritance is our inheritance. It's amazing. Paul goes even further. He says that God's children are adopted. We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to make us fearful. We've already looked at the fact that believers are not to be fearful, that God doesn't want us to approach him with fear. We don't come on the basis of our works. We come on the basis of the cross. God's grace and mercy towards us in Christ. Our sin is already covered. Sin no longer makes us rejected by God. If you're still fearing God, maybe we ought to examine our hearts. Either we've maybe misunderstood the grace of God. We haven't really fully appreciated how great his love is, how great our acceptance is. Or maybe we haven't trusted in Christ at all. We're still relating to God out of fear because our sin is not addressed. We haven't embraced the love of God in Christ. Paul encourages us instead to think that we have received God's Spirit when He adopted us as His own children. I have a cousin, <coughs> and <coughs> He says, I don't know how many years ago, he told me that when he was young, maybe about four or five, one of his older sisters says, but you're not really part of our family. You, you were adopted. <laughs> and the poor guy, it was only when he was much older that he actually found out that she just made that up. And he lived for a lot of years thinking, I was really part of this family. I've been adopted. (laughs) The poor guy. But that is illustrative of the fact that even at a young age, his older sister thought that being adopted was a second class, being a second class member of the family. Sometimes when we see of people who are being adopted, it's, it's it's, it's not the first choice situation for them it's a it's what you do when something has gone wrong and you try and do what you can 
you adopt somebody into the family if their parents have died or if something has gone wrong. They've been fostered, and now they're being adopted. It's, well, they need somewhere to settle. Let's see if we can get them adopted. But it's always a second-class type of situation for children. For us, adoption is nowhere near as special as having been born into the family, naturally. I know there are many parents who adopt children and they love them as much even more than if they were born into their own family, especially those who haven't been able to have children. But still, that young girl's put down to her brother that you're only adopted is how we, how too often we think of adoption. It's a second class status within the family. But when Paul was writing to the Romans here, <coughs> that's not what he had in mind. Their adoption in, in Roman culture was far more special than it is in our culture. For them, adoption wasn't as common as it is now. It was something that was conferred upon adults more than children. Or maybe a, <clears throat> a wealthy businessman might have had many employees and maybe the head of his household, the, the head manager who worked for him, who he might have been so pleased with, he would give him the privilege of adopting him into his own family. Maybe giving him the full rights of inheritance more than even one of his his natural born sons or daughters. So being adopted in Roman culture was actually being more special at times than being born into the family. It was a privilege that was bestowed upon somebody, not out of need or necessity, but out of grace. It was a legal process too in which the person received a new identity. If they had some lurking sins and crimes that they'd committed in the past, if they had skeletons in the cupboard, just like when we come to God through faith in Christ, all those are gone. When somebody was adopted into a Roman family, anything that they had done in the past, murder, theft, whatever, Well, they became a new person, as if they'd been born into the family. Their old identity was gone. They became a new person. And so adoption signifies not only our justification, but also our status as beloved children of God. If we've trusted in Christ, we are adopted into God's family, not as second-class members of his family, but with the full privileges of what is Christ's. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ, what is his is ours. We're not just tolerated, make an extra space at the table, squeeze this person in. We are as accepted as Christ is by his grace. His inheritance is ours. So if you've ever been tempted to think that God doesn't love you as much as he loves others, well, put that out of your minds. Forget it. 
we're all as loved as Christ is. We're all as accepted as Christ is. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have Christ in us. He is the head. We are the body. We don't have his deity. We are still the creation. But we couldn't have any more than what we have. Praise God, there are no Cinderella's tolerated in the family, in, in the church, in the family of God. In the family of God, there are no second-class children. Before God, the church is the most equality-based organization in the world. It doesn't matter what our background, what our race is, what our education, our ability, what convictions we might have had, anything else. We're all equally accepted in Christ. Praise God. So we can call God Abba, Father. This is nothing to do with a pop group. <laughs> Abba <clears throat> is a word which, well, we've received not a spirit of fear to make us fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. When we pray our Father, it's not to an uncaring disciplinarian, unloving father, but to a caring, loving father. We're lost maybe to, to find words to describe, to describe him. The Jews at the time would have understood this word Abba to be an affectionate, intimate word. I don't think we have anything really similar in English, but we can get the idea that we are loved, we have access, we have a personal relationship with the Father. There's a closeness, a love, a care, a security that comes with being able to say Abba, Father, or whatever word we use. He loves us and we're loved by him. If we've not had a good earthly father, then all that we haven't had is what God is, God the Father is. If we have had a good earthly father, that is a signpost, that is a, a little tester of the goodness of God the Father. Not everyone can be described as a child of God, even though they are made in the image of God. Only those who have trusted in Christ. So we need to share the gospel so that others will be not simply created in the image of God, a fallen image because of sin, but know God as their heavenly father so that they can receive the adoption, the inheritance, that they may be justified by faith only through this gospel. And we should note also in passing that <clears throat> Paul doesn't say that, right, everything is now wonderful. It will be. There will be a time when there is no more sorrow or sickness or pain. And we do believe in prosperity and blessing. That is all ours. It is our inheritance. But the timing is not right yet for it. We still have to, to walk through this world. We still have to struggle with, even suffer with the things that we go through in this world. And Paul addresses that. But he says... Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just him who justified us, but him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not just separate us from being accepted, from being righteous before God, but will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, if you have known the leading of the Spirit, if you have known the power of the Spirit at work in you, well, thank God for all that is yours and how accepted and loved you are by the Father. It's not on the basis of how others would accept you. It's not on the basis of your ability, your experience, your intellect, anything else. It's just on the basis of his love being given to you. And nothing can separate you from that love. Rejoice that sin is no longer a barrier between you and God. The cross has addressed that. Sin no longer defines us. God's love and mercy and grace defines us as his children. So let's thank God. Let's draw close to him. Let's spend time with him. Let's praise him. And let's rejoice in the knowledge of who we are as his children. Let's pray. (coughs) Dear Father in heaven, we are lost for words to describe how we ought to be so thankful to you. We are lost for understanding even to to fully comprehend your love for us and your grace towards us. But we will one day see it in, in far more clarity than we do now. And we will have thousands, ten thousands of years to sing your praise, to give you glory, to give you thanks. Lord, help us to give you thanks now in advance of seeing that more clearly. Help us even as we see through a glass dimly, Lord. Help us to glimpse what we can of your love and your care for us, of our acceptance in Christ, of our inheritance in Christ, of our status as children of God in Christ. Father, help us to share this wonderful gospel with others. And Lord, encourage us and help us to to know that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us from being fully accepted children of God. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace towards us. In Christ Jesus. Amen.